0: The benefit of being in a SaaS software space, there's a lot of data, and Mm -hmm. I think now the playbooks are more behavior-driven versus time-driven, in the sense of are we seeing the engagement and the interaction on the platform? Um, If we're not, this is a trigger point to have the conversations. Are we seeing change in the account? Again, it's behavioral now versus time-based, and these are the triggers.
1: Today's successful revenue leaders once started their careers just like you and I they faced the challenges that their careers brought to them, they rose to the occasion, and became the leaders that we admire today. Join me as we explore the skills and stories that make a great leader with a pinch of vulnerability. Hello and welcome to Sales Therapy. I'm your host, Alper Jurder. Grab a chair, this is your exclusive invitation to the therapy room. As leaders are going to be sharing their career-defining moments, their secret tips and tricks in their arsenal towards success. And I promise we'll always end on a positive note. So today in the therapy chair, we have Fadi Basil, who is the VP of customer success at Incorta. He has over 20 years of experience leading and scaling pre- and post-sales teams in high-growth software companies like Altrix and Cortaidos Consulting, where he led massive growth journeys from $15 million. To over $120 million, actually a couple of times. So we'll talk about all of that. Uh, Fadi and I, we know each other through a community network. We'll talk about that too. Um, so, A fun conversation is waiting for you today and lots of practical tips about being a leader in the space of um, customer success. Um, So we'll talk about your success, your joy and pain and the journey, Fadi. Welcome to Sales Therapy. How are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm
0: feeling great. Thanks, Albert. Looking uh, forward to our conversation. Excellent.
1: Um, any good therapist starts with the childhood and growing up. Um, your name resonates with me a lot because it's a Farsi name, right? Am I am I right or wrong?
0: Well, I think it's a, it's a
1: Mediterranean kind of East yes, Asian
0: type. Uh, uh, okay.
1: Name, yeah, I'm, I'm Lebanese origin. You're Lebanese. Ah, okay. I thought Fadi was Farsi. Okay, good. You're Lebanese, and we'll talk about the childhood um, and the younger years because I love understanding how the growing up experience shapes the people we are today, how we acted work how we perceive work so tell us about your younger years first let's let's start from those growing up years
0: yeah yeah so I, as I mentioned like I'm, I'm Lebanese originally uh grew up uh in Lebanon had my first company there uh and then uh, I mean yeah for people who haven't worked in the Middle East it was uh, a bit challenging on on the cash flow collection side so I said hey you know what I'll just find a job get a good job get married uh five years in I was thinking hey what am I doing here right i need something exciting that's just uh too uh, too mundane so packed my uh, uh my stuff uh my wife and i just kind of flew to the uk and now uh, yeah i've been for a while in the uk um did my mba here and then started the second company i guess i didn't learn from the first uh doing uh text mining consulting kept at it for a few years but then uh, I ended up, I guess, I just like the excitement, So I ended up uh, traveling most of the time to Oman. Now, as a side note, it's an amazing country. So definitely worth visiting. Um, yeah, but then, uh, I guess I spent most of my weekends traveling back and forth no. and it wasn't sustainable. So, no. uh, I said, Hey, you know what? I, I had like a young child, uh, at the time. So I said, Hey, you know what? I need to just kind of settle. And then, uh, that's how so I got into Alteryx.
1: How old, how old were you when you moved to London then?
0: So I was 28, 20, 28 29.
1: Ah, okay. I moved Already, when I was yeah,
0: thirteen. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Around a similar time. And did you wake up to a frosty, icy, um... UK morning this morning as well? This morning?
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I, I live down in Kent, and most of the time it's nice. But yeah, I mean, but to be honest, I think like it's it's needed. Uh, w- yeah. Winter was late this year. Oh, yeah, for so sure. I'm yes. happy with that.
1: Yeah. I, we're, we're, we're dying for some snow. Have you had some snow yet? You might have already.
0: Uh, I mean, just a just, just day, uh, a couple okay. of weeks ago. Yeah, no, not enough right. to, to actually enjoy it.
1: The last time I saw London like properly snowy, I wasn't here last year when it snowed, I think. But three, four years ago, it was so pretty. Anyway, I get signed lined sometimes. I want to go back to the younger years <laughs> a little bit, though. Before you came to the UK, yeah, and yeah. Le- Lebanon is an amazing country I love and full of diversity. It's Mediterranean, sunshine is my favorite thing, blah, blah. Which city did you grow up in? Where where were you born? Tell us a little bit so about it. The...
0: In, in Beirut. Okay. Okay. yeah so I, I yeah i was born I was born in Beirut I think uh, probably uh, to, to to add a bit of drama, I would say like the first ten years of my life it was, was during the civil war in lebanon i mean yeah it's unfortunate did it i guess affect me personally not not necessarily directly, but probably that's kind of where it created the mindset of hey, we need to keep on moving. Right? Yeah. There's always like, ah. I need to move forward, try things, don't settle.
1: I think that's the Lebanese psyche, isn't it? Like every Lebanese, I'm, I probably you guys are like 10 <laughs> times outside than inside your country and yeah. everyone's a hustler. <laughs> I mean,
0: no, what, one of the hobbies is collecting passports. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: How many passports can you have, right? Cause <laughs> <laughs> one is never enough but I, uh, Yeah,
1: I agree yeah it's the same yeah when I get my UK passport I think four years ago it was like finally I can travel and obviously Brexit was already there so again another side topic <laughs> so coming going to the u k let's start talking a little bit about your career. Can you talk us the involvement and your your journey leading up to that amazing experience at Alteryx?
0: yeah yeah so so as i mentioned like i uh, i i came here, did an m b a and then I was like in a position, all right, what do I want to do now? get a job or again do something interesting and I think like one of the things that probably Um, is consistently in the back of uh, my mind is all right what's out there what's like interesting to to try Mm -hmm. out and this is where it was like at the start so i'm talking like 2013 when it was the start of open social media becoming a thing so like everyone's on Facebook, everyone's on forum, posting, posting stuff. And then the tools to collect and make sense of this data is also kind of becoming available or are becoming available. And then, um, that's where like the idea, all right, let's make this something that brands can consume. And that got us into like the, the uh, I, like myself and my co-founder got us into this consultancy on how do we get all of this rich data that's out there and help brands make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we kept at it on for three years. But again, like as anyone who's done consultancy knows, like there's a challenge always in scale, especially when you're taking something new to the market as a consul- consultancy, rather yeah, like on, on demand. And then we started getting kind of projects broadly outside the UK. And uh, in parallel, like my first child, my daughter was born. She was four at that point, four months. And I was thinking, hey, you know what? Like, that's not sustainable. Right? Yeah. Like Over like weekends, and kind of funny. So I need to, to do something that's more reasonable. So I stopped that and then moved into Alters into consulting. So Alteryx is kind of for context. It's a BI and analytics. So still within the analytics and data space, mm-hmm. probably more established. Um, so yeah, so, so landed into consulting. I landed into like pre-sales and co- customer success, like sales engineering by chance. But I guess mm-hmm. we, we can get into that. But that's kind of I got into. Altrix into consulting. Yeah, I mean, to, to keep it short, as a side note, we were sitting in the office. The um, so EMEA, the whole of EMEA was being run from the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the head of EMEA said, hey, we need a French speaker because we're starting selling to sell into France mm-hmm. and I don't have anyone who knows the product. Anyone's interested? So yeah, I am. <laughs> so that was like my first uh, sales engineering role. And then how, that's how kind of I fell into in sales engineering. And then I grew from there, built the EMEA team uh, at Altrix, kept at it for six years, and then now moved to... uh in Corta, which is another bi analytics uh solution yeah. like yeah I've yeah we'll, for, we'll come I've to that for like, kind of so ge-
1: generally yeah. in the section i i, I asked people about their career defining moments so for you it was the parlez-vous francais moment i guess uh,
0: i mean i would say like uh potentially it's been like a few moments across this uh this journey i think it's uh, so tell us tell us some highs and lows into. then yeah yeah so i i would say like it's it's Possibly combinations of highs and lows, like finding the opportunity to set up a consultancy in the UK, that's definitely a high. But then Mm -hmm. getting to a point where I would (laughs) say uh, where my biggest takeaway at some point was that I got to learn to sleep on the plane, irrespective of what time it is or how long the flight is. (laughs) You know, I think that's a skill. and just wake up fresh on the other side and then exactly like another one being hey parlez-vous français and then uh, picking up that job and then just kind of growing but I think like probably career defining moments just kind of looking at things that come my way and say hey you know what mm. yeah why not give I'll it a take try it on see on. what happens yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that risk appetite uh, first of all of course in the, it's in the DNA the, the the Lebanese in you I think will say let's take risks but also um, <laughs> you know things like for example I'm, I'm a migrant you know I, I changed five countries and always work permits and stuff was an issue money was an issue so now being a founder Mm -hmm. some people say it's a luxury it is true because only at the age of 38 now i'm a citizen where i can travel freely you know i do have a bit of stability blah 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 so those things are actually the defining moments in your career not just like opportunities presenting but like how your overall life aligns with your career i guess a
0: hundred percent a hundred percent and again like uh, having like life changes outside work. Again, that defines these decisions around work, you know, getting a new child, uh, moving places, all of them influence uh, decisions. Again, there's no kind of better or worse. These are kind of the spots on a journey.
1: Yeah, exactly. Coming to that uh, Outlook experience, I think numbers always excite people, um, as the book uh, Le Petit Prince suggested, uh, give numbers to adults. They will always be amazed by that. And of course, we are amazed by the shiny, you know, 15 million to 120 million experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What yeah. were you doing? How did your first experience with these pre-sales engineering, customer success, these terms started again, highs and lows? Let's hear the juicy story there.
0: Yeah, so, so in a way, um, being into sales engineering, I think it, at that point, um, Altrix was uh, successful globally, but then getting established uh, mm-hmm. in uh, in EMEA, uh, whereby I was the second SE um, and then uh, the whole group in EMEA was eight people. Mm-hmm. Um, so while yes, it's an established brand, and that's the nice thing; it's, it's like a startup environment, but within where, where there is funding, right? And, and you would know this, so there is less less challenge about like funding. Yes, uh, I but do. It's still it's
1: still startup. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, it's, 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 that's that's something that's uh, less kind of we, we have to worry less about. And then just um, going through the face of really like six years there, growing from the UK, expanding into the different regions and the market year over year. Um, for those who are in SaaS it is a land and expand model, or it mm-hmm. was a land and expand model. Probably it still it still is. With um, and the nice thing about it, and I think that we can we can get to this about like the conversations today about like does CSM make sense or not, but. Can we Without going on a tangent right now, I think like it was at a point where it just made sense to have account executives and sales engineers own the account, land the account, expand the account, and you're owning the full life cycle of the customer. Um, and then that, and obviously I mentioned like the French uh, the French component, but then, okay, okay, let's expand into the markets. Um, and as you grow and you're growing the team and expanding <coughs> into EMEA, and that's something that American companies in a way, especially coming to Europe, um, have to i guess in many cases have to learn from what i've seen yeah is emia is not one region hmm. emia is probably like 30 different markets that operate very differently and then figuring out how do you then negotiate the differences when does it make sense to go into the markets at what phase what to prioritize how to test it out how to re- yeah. you know, rely on yeah. the partners um what what and being stage? this early on
1: yeah what funding stage was this when you when you started? So, if I remember
0: correctly, I think Altrix was a series E at that point.
1: Oh wow, already okay. They've
0: been they've been in business already for 15 years. Okay. okay. Doing really well in the in the US. Yeah uh, I had that game game to emil
1: Yeah I had that e experience just just before actually acquisition and I it, it resonates obviously it's start still a startup but at the same time you have money but at the same time you're becoming more corporate the old old folks yeah. hate the new way of working the new folks are yeah. a bit more like you know, they have a bit more salary because you're getting the more experienced people, the commission structures change. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did, they, did you yeah, have any yeah. of those things as well? It's
0: interesting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's interesting because you, you mentioned this because in a way... That was kind of that, like the when I joined was somewhat of the transition period. So I, I joined like late twenty fifteen, and then Altrix went public uh, in twenty seventeen. Oh, so you can go. think of it as twenty sixteen being like that transition period yeah. between being private and public, oh and like my the God. whole setup yeah. of going there. <laughs> um it's it's fun it's definitely fun it's definitely like a good learning experience uh with 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 the right bunch of people
1: if anyone's in your in in those shoes right now like if any of our listeners are you were heading up the cs team right like um sorry sales engineering so the sales engineering yeah but sales engineering was full life cycle full life cycle so free and post sales so how was that experience and i guess like what advice would you give to anybody who is going through that at the moment based on your experience
0: yeah so i think the biggest i think learning looking in hindsight is accepting the fact that in high growth companies at that stage in this transition uh, change potentially annual change um, sometimes more frequent mm-hmm. is a given mm-hmm. and in most cases that's for the better yeah. as an Figuring out the changes to the playbooks, messaging, how do we become more precise? How do we expand? How how do we tune to the market? Um, So one part has changed now. The other I think and that would be a personal defining moment, I would say, in my career, is through this constant change again, people is a big component. And a leader's role is to take people on this journey. Change obviously uncomfortable. Exactly. And and being being aware that it's a responsibility of the person to be able to one know this, take it into consideration and make sure they are making the change. As seamless as possible. Obviously, it cannot be completely seamless, mm. but taking the human component really. Yeah, I think there's a huge,
1: huge difference between like being the doer, learning how to do, creating the playbook, then trying to onboard people, different skill sets. And I don't think, although we presented always like career is linear, it's not. Like some things people like, some things they don't. You know, you might love the client interaction, but not love creating that process and trying to train everybody on it. Right. So I'm curious, like, yeah. what were your responsibilities when the team was smaller when you joined and then how did they evolve as it got bigger yeah and,
0: and I, I would think it's maybe somewhat typical of these transitions where it, it initially is more of a player coach type uh, mm-hmm. uh, r- role and then i would say and, and i have two different experiences my current experience versus the experience at uh, at Ultras and they are both valid and i would say they are important, and again, broadening or kind of rounding someone's skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Ultrix's days, because I would like to talk a little bit as well at kind of the current tool, because yep. uh, it's slightly different. Um, on in Ultrix's days, again, as a player coach, growing a team and being part of the team makes a lot of things easier, in the sense of having the initial respect when you're one of the early folks on on the ground, knowing and being in someone's shoe almost creates. Like the inherent sense of people respecting you and listening to you and there's less of a need to develop it Mm -hmm. now the flip side to this though is over time as they're all transitions from like when when then there are managers in place and they are there are directors in place and there are like three layers of um uh, uh, folks uh, right operating the business then the transition becomes right how do i learn or unlearn being a doer?
1: Oh, I love because
0: that. Because one of the roles of a leader is taking a step back and thinking, are we actually doing the right thing? Do we do we need to look at something totally differently? Do we need to get a fresh perspective, right? Do I need to hire someone external who thinks completely opposite to me because I'm stuck in my thought process? And I, being stuck to what I do makes it much more challenging. I
1: absolutely love that. How do I unlearn being a doer? Oh God, that, that that's so... Nice and juicy. You gave us a gentle nudge there to coming to today, which is the third section of the show generally. So coming to today, I want to talk a little bit about more the current issues CS is dealing with and you are dealing with. I generally like to ask the question in this way, but feel free to respond in your way. Generally, I go... I
0: think that's fair, yeah.
1: Okay, so what brought you to therapy today? What problems are you solving in your business? Yeah, yeah. So
0: so I think um, problems, I would say 2023, 2024, the theme of this year, I think personally, and it seems like it's a broad, uh, broad theme is how can I do a lot more with Less.
1: <laughs> Great.
0: Now, that's that's a constant in business. Yes. That's yeah. a constant in business. What yeah. makes it different, though, is there's a sense that this is now reality, and therefore, we need to figure this out. And it has multiple components, and I want to go back to the human element uh, to it, because doing more with less is two, two parts. How can I protect churn using the limited resources that I have, and that's a combination of technology and people. Um, The other component of doing less with more is how do I incentivize and keep the individuals on my teams productive and positive without all of the port spiffs, uh, bonuses, like all of the financial incentives that are historically there, which were kind of somewhat of an easy answer to drive positive engagement. So that's kind of the constant part. And, And I think where we're executing and I'm executing on personally and I see like this is again in a lot of the conversation and a lot of the folks that I've watched on your uh, your podca- podcast as well uh, in previous episodes it's really going to basics but then executing on the basics perfectly yeah, exactly. right? but I see this so like separate to this one of the things I guess that I've been a constant hobby of mine over the last like four years now is martial arts and specifically like kickboxing and then coaching around kickboxing and I, I see a lot of because like putter level you see like everyone doing all of these fancy moves and like spinning and jumping and like <laughs> just kind of trying to be impressive and then as you go up into the professional level you see like everyone is sticking to the basics but they execute them perfect like perfect oh, tiny, perfect that. movement I love that and and that's that's what we need to do in business
1: so what are those basics you are trying to execute perfectly then give us a few practical so, so within, examples w- within,
0: within uh, customer support and customer success I think like if few things one being super clear on what is it that's adding value in the interactions with the customer everything else that we deem fluff should go away because again when when you have the same amount amount of hours in the day, a lot of of fewer individuals on the team, you need to be very, very um, prescriptive about what you're engaging on. In the processes, uh, obviously, definitely doing a deep dive in process reviews. Um, Again, what is it that we can optimize? What is it that we can take away completely? Um, Can we look at something totally different? And again, like probably bringing in Elon Musk He's a divisive character, but I, I, I recently saw that one of his drivers of success is the fact that he looks at something that's been done for a long, long time and then thinking, all right, um, if I go back to, to basics, and then redo this from the start. Do I yeah. actually need everything that I'm doing in here? Can yeah. I cancel it? And I think that's essential today.
1: Well, oh, I love that. And last night we had our founder's dinner and we were thinking, what would you do differently if you were building Flow Love from scratch again? And and I think that was kind of a similar conversation. Okay, Fatih, you've given me so much. I'm like, okay, where which, which direction I go? But I think I know where i want going to go. I do have a few generally in this section. I take a few of the practical questions that our users ask me and then i relay them back to my guest and they do their best or not so for example doing more with less is definitely something that everyone's struggling with. And I'm wondering, is there a way to share tools, budgets, processes across the revenue team to make things a bit more effective, to make things or processes even more effective? And does that actually create value or does that maybe create some friction? Uh,
0: I think that that's a, that's a very good question, Alper. I think I would like to get on something that, again, one level higher mm-hmm. um, along the same line of What you're asking. I think one of the things of doing more with less is actually at the leadership level looking at it as a leadership team with everyone responsible for the business versus Mm. responsible for their function. Yeah. and again nothing new it's taking a step back and, and saying my primary responsibility is to the business and my peers on the leadership level or on the executive level yeah but that's difficult. and if that what is you say case, there,
1: i mean that's you, you're yeah. saying the ideal thing but let's get real like okay you have yeah. a team you need to motivate and the other guy has their team they need to motivate you know the traditional things like commission blah blah that's already getting blurry because there's convergence and cs is becoming yeah, yeah. even more important in business i mean sorry for cutting you there but I I just want to make it real for people. How do you navigate that friction? But but
0: this is where, again, we we go back into the practicality of your question. So with this in mind, then the practicality of the question is, so if we are looking at it as a group of executives or a group Mm -hmm. of peers, Mm -hmm. where are the points of savings? Where are the points of collaboration? Mm -hmm. What are the things that we can reuse Mm -hmm. or share? If I am looking at it as a, an information exchange, then do I actually need to have separate systems for everyone? Or can we collaborate? Again, scales of, scale of the business, maturity of the business comes into picture. But then part of it is that mindset. I think... Um, going back on...
1: No, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah,
0: so, so one of the things that, that I wanted to make sure that we did mention, because it goes to the point on incentivizing mm-hmm. and how do we do it outside commission. The other part of the human element of this is actually then the focus of spending more time with the individuals with coaching like s- focusing on coaching again back to basics it's not rocket science
1: yeah yeah it's not rocket <clears throat> science i think the basic the challenges the basic human psychology but it's comes time. In. It's, it's time well it's time because I mean yeah the buyer dictates the economy dictates but the problem there for example with collaboration no 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 like everybody knows don't get siloed collaborate etc but I think we go into our, our day-to-day routines and days become weeks weeks become months we don't even speak those things you know unless you have some conscious nudges um, in your process yep. to say hey it's been a mm-hmm. month and we haven't had a chat about this incentive or this is you know um, I don't know efficiency let's have that and I mm-hmm. think that that becomes really difficult when things are stressful as well like you know money is low you need to be yep. concerned about other things but nudges i guess i would and say. and a hundred percent
0: so it's it's not just and if we go back to execution again is this is the discipline right it's, it's yeah. figuring out all right it is the importance of actually having team conversations it is the the importance of setting time to uh, to to align like you
1: mentioned. And, and that's part of leadership. It's not easy. And in, in, in the current role, you mentioned there are parallels, but there are differences to Alteryx experience. Like, what is your main remit right now? Like, what are you trying to achieve and improve in 2024, for example?
0: So where priority for me in 2024 is really uh, protecting revenue, a, a an objective of zero churn. I mean, ha- however, again, this this is a u- ex- executed against bias, really zero zero churn while in, in, making sure sure that you know i have high retention within the team high efficiency within the team um, and a positive uh, positive culture Um, now it's still a growth business and obviously the other side of this is making sure that new business i mean we have new business is driving new business and the collaboration so i'll give you a practical example of collaboration it's Common in some places, in some places it's not. Customer success post-sales playing a role in uh, the uh, pre-sales uh, cycle because they bring in realistic value. They bring in peer relationships. Right? Everyone today is talking about one of the key selling points is like a CFO buys from another CFO before they buy from from the salesperson before they buy from the vendor. How do you create these relationships? Again, post-sales can can play a, good, a, a significant part of part of this along with other teams, obviously. And this is collaboration it comes into the picture where i'm looking all right we're no longer into this uh, phase where oh it's not my job to be in pre-sales when when i'm part of a post sales team no we're, we're all looking at this growth target we're all looking at this revenue target when i'm protecting revenue i'm also helping the sellers not have to worry to fill the bucket which is very common in sales.
1: okay there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff which is very much in line with what we preach in our strategy to like we just brought a cs expert before a salesperson for example honestly the way i see our process right now our whole um, sales playbook. Uh, the first contact, the first—we don't call it a demo. It's—it's it's a guided discovery, I guess. It's all about handholding, mm-hmm. understanding the problem. The first contact to me is like the first touch of onboarding. To be honest, <laughs> am I gonna onboard mm-hmm. you, or my, or am I not gonna onboard you? And if I'm not gonna onboard you, how do I make me you an ally, a friend? How can I give you an advice, a tip? So I think that mentality of always be closing sales, uh, you know, manufacturing line—it's kind of gone out the window. Mm-hmm. I, I hope. It's never been my experience or what I preach, but do you feel like sellers are adapting to this new reality where client success is becoming even more crucial, important? Collaboration is becoming more important. Do you feel like they get it?
0: So I think it's it's a transition. It's a transition period where... There's a again, and it's like depending on on the vendor. I think like I'm in the lucky position of being uh, both part of a vendor, but then also being a buyer um, mm-hmm. in in my role. And the the way I see it is a transition where there's a tension between we have existing playbooks that have proved successful in the in the past, and then we need to do them. An example being a QBR, where as a buyer I would sit on a QBR and thinking right, why why am I here? Like, <laughs> like there's literally nothing. Else. They are showing the data that I already know. Oh, so what's the point? Um, but then also moving into solutions and a lot of things probably... That, that I'd mentioned and I'll do the plug uh, for Flola because one of the things like I gave you a feedback on this what I look for as a buyer today is really the solution and the vendor that I'm trying to buy from moving out of my way right because I don't care about the technology as a buyer and um, I don't care about who is it that's doing it what I care about is does it solve my problem and if it solves my problem with the minimal interaction and minimal learning I mean that's even better right because I can solve my problem now not in two weeks time when someone has taken me through like 20 demos and like seven trainings. And I think this is where businesses are transitioning into, all right, so if these are the buyers, and again, it's a transition. It's probably a generation of buyers. <laughs> then uh, then uh, we need to change how we sell. And then on the flip side, it goes to training. I mean, today, if I look at myself, probably half of the time I go and learn stuff of YouTube. If I look at my children who are nine and six, I mean, probably when they are the buyers, I mean, they do everything online. Like there's mm. nothing, like there's nothing that they need to learn. They don't go and ask anyone. Everything is online. And I guess that's the, ch- the change that we're going through
1: right now. Yeah. And how do you have the buyer at the center of things? How do you remove friction, complexity? I mean, it's, it's really difficult because buyers, based on our research, they w- want more autonomy, availability, but at the same time, they still want the human interaction. You know, when they, want, they have a question, they, it, they want it to be solved immediately. So it's mm-hmm. going to be fun, fun to watch all that. And one stat that I want to share actually on the call is, uh, I read somewhere about this, this, this buyer trend in 25, I think over half, the buyer persona will be woman, like buying from vendors, like in those buying decision making positions. I think it was a Gartner study. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's a fascinating fact. And then people are asking me, in our influencer almanac. we just mentioned how the Gen Z is already changing uh, the world of sales and etc. And they were like, do you think it really has an impact? I'm like, yeah, because that's now becoming 30% of your workforce and how they buy and how they interact, you know, is becoming your yeah. reality. So yeah, fun yeah. Time. And, and I think
0: uh, part of it is going back and taking a step back and saying, all right, so we had, like, as we we're building our ICPs, we have some assumptions about, about the personas that we're creating in these ICPs. What have changed, right? Which assumptions are no longer valid?
1: Before we come to the end, I have one question which probably is in everybody's mind. Maybe if you have any tips, tricks, your secret sauce, um, this is the one. How do I make sure my contracts get renewed and I don't lose clients? What are your top tips, learnings? From this over decades of experience to help people to help founders who might be listening to to improve that.
0: It may not be a popular comment, but I think going back to like the very early steps of the sales process and making sure that we're selling actually uh, the right solution to the right buyer. Um, but then once something is sold, what, again what a buyer wants is really value realization, and putting this as the critical step in a post sales process how do i work with my buyer to define their value not my value not whatever i'm preaching but their value and their perspective and then how do i deliver to that um and then keeping the relationships but obviously i mean if someone is in sales and that's that's a core core skill irrespective mm. yeah. Just, again ch- challenges when Original sales don't fit, or we don't have the customer realize value, their value, not our value, yeah. or, or we have like a wrong definition of their value. Yeah. Right. And then uh, third, we're not, we're not
1: multi-threaded. Like we have one champion, the champion leaves and then we're stuck. Yeah. Um, just making a note of that. So I think one thing I'll add to that is generally, I like getting this, this idea from um, my, my CS leader guests, how far in advance do you start looking into a contract? Like, you know, how how far in advance before renewal date? Or do you have like a scale? You need to start taking actions. And I know like, okay, you have to have an ongoing relationship, blah, blah. But like, do you start three months in advance to do X or... You have those kind of triggers. Yes, yeah, so I
0: think uh, where uh, we've moved in in court, and I've seen it in many of the analytics companies. And I think like that's kind of the the benefit of being in a SaaS software space. There's a lot of data, and mm-hmm. I think. Now the playbooks are more behavior-driven versus time-driven in the sense of, are we seeing the engagement and the interaction on the platform? Um, If we're not, this is a trigger point to have the conversations. Are we seeing change in the account? Again, it's behavioral now versus time-based. And these are the triggers.
1: I love that. And it actually is a nudge to to me to ask the question in that way. So rather than time-driven and waiting for something to happen, like look at the behaviors, are we getting the right behaviors? Signals, I guess, right? Okay.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the benefit of right having a SaaS, SaaS platform. You see what the user, ideally. Obviously, ideally, you see what the users are doing.
1: And on flow you see it too. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Cool. Um, so nice. this, has, this has been an amazing conversation, Fadi. Thank you. I think there's a lot we could cover more, but unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time. And like any good therapist, I have to uh, you know, uh, close the show uh, on time. Any closing remarks before we go? I mean, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure. I think one of the things that w- we need to
0: keep on uh, focusing on with everything that's changing, again, just the, the human element of all of this. And I think as people build experience, I think we we owe it to to the next group after us to, to support them around this, I love irrespective that. of what's their role. I think that's, that's, that's important.
1: I completely agree with that. And I... I think a few takeaways from this conversation which were really practical for me. And by the way, the the last few shows I've been taking notes and, you know, going in front. If anyone's watching it, they might be feeling like, okay, is this guy not listening? Whereas I'm actually making like handwritten notes because probably I'm a boomer. Um, But there were so many. I had two (laughs) two pages of notes on this conversation and I thank you so much for it. Um, It's a pleasure. It's a
0: pleasure. Thank you for sharing that
1: as well. Excellent. I appreciate that. That's a wrap on this episode of Sales Therapy. If you enjoy the show, uh, watch us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify. Um, You know where to find us on LinkedIn. Probably Fadi is there to be found too. And also, I maybe forgot to mention, but Fadi is the um, uh, CS uh, chapter head of our London community in Pavilion. And I think he's accessible uh, through that community too. It's been a joy. Thank you very much. And uh, watch us in the next episode of Sales Therapy. Bye. Thank you.